You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to Axe to Grind, the hardcore podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Bob. And I'm Tom. And today our guest is an old pal, fellow Edgeman, Long Island hardcore luminary, mm. my buddy Christian. There's so many people that could have uh, been that person. I'm trying to think of who. Uh, Joey Botafuco. He's from Long Island. It Not straight edge. Yeah, the the Edgeman thing basically that cuts out ninety nine percent of Long Island at this. You know what? Trip. You know what's funny about Joey Bedfugo? He actually is straight edge. Oh, it's funny. No, what you guys don't know is Jody, Joey Joey old Judge Rody. So we're <laughs> yeah. up with the nihilistics. Wild shit. I don't know. I'm sure he knows. So I'm sure like he is a cousin that was like you know went to a neglect show or has some kind of everybody on Long Island. No, somebody's gone to a neglect show. Know somebody who went to a neglect show, went to high school with somebody in VOD, like somehow new blast. We're all connected. It's, uh, we're Everyone's all connected. from Merrick. Everybody's from Merrick. Yo, uh, Chris, Christian, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, psyched to have you. Before we get into it, uh, let's pay some homage. Let's talk to our lovely sponsor gods to live a lie. Mo. Close casket activities. Quack. Quack. And the stars of the show today run for cover records. Yes. And Death Wish Inc. Bark. <laughs> we got the uh, 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 click, click, moo game going. Uh, let's start off with our friends at Run for Cover Records. Uh, I'm going to have you direct your browsers to runforcoverrecords.com. And if for some odd reason you have not yet taken the time, done what we've said, I think we've talked about this a couple times, not too much because I'm pretty cautious about not overselling this. Now is the time to order the anxious little greenhouse LP. Mm. Do it at the end of this week. Um, these dudes from Fairfield County, Connecticut are uh, really doing things. Um, this is their debut LP. Uh, I know these guys. I work with them. I help them out. Um, <clears throat> you know, they have worked really hard. This LP is awesome. It advances their sound, but still has that kind of melodic edge with a lot of kind of personality. And that's something I think gets lost in music a lot is you got to show who you are and have that kind of unique side. So um, this LP does that. I, I think if you haven't seen it, the cover art is just awesome. Um, you have to forgive me. I don't remember the artist's name, but she does typically does children's books and she did all the art for this record and the, the little promo EP beforehand. 
Um, so go out there and get this. I'm pretty sure there's not many of the limited versions left. The run for cover exclusive has been gone for a long time, but there's a couple of the other versions out. Go to runforcoverrecords.com, order that. Um, tell them we sent you. Guys, you have anything else you want to say about it? The record is oh quite good. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really good. It's 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 what you've come to expect from them, but it's them two or three years past the last rec- last stuff that you've heard from them. Like, and if you like the singles that you've heard, you're gonna yeah. love the record. I think it's gonna be it's cool. They got to play with Dinosaur Junior already. Mm, that's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> that's amazing. I would play with Jay Masses tomorrow. You know, I actually legit hate everything that he's done since Deep Wound. So I, I, I wouldn't care about that. Are you shooting at Dinosaur Junior? Yeah, I don't. It's one of the greats. I don't give a shit about. I no respect for Dinosaur Junior musically. I, it's uh, oh music, my, I think it's, I think it's I think it's torture. But oh, dude, it's still cool. It's still a cool thing. Look at Christian. He's uh, out. He's in pain. Yeah. Well, no, I, I have a question. My ADD was kicking in, so I wasn't paying attention as to what's the name of the band you're talking about. Anxious, I'm anxious, not. anxious. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because whatever. I was actually what? What? I have a bunch. I hit you up right. Tell me I had a Lemonhead show a couple of months ago. Yep. And I was trying to figure out who to put on that show and talk yeah. to that band. Um, it is rad. Sorry, I don't mean to steal your spotlight. It is rad that there is like bands like that coming out that do a newer version of this because you know when you do try to find support bands you know for some of these older artists lemonheads dino jr etc like you know often it's difficult to find like a younger band that makes sense so it is cool that like there is a lot of shit coming out that's like reminiscent of those uh older what'd you say on barrel oh god how do you not like dinosaur jr and you like hardcore like well that's, that's up for debate i think it's i think it's an yeah. albany western mass thing so uh Let's keep it to Connecticut and get the anxious little greenhouse record. Um, Guys, keep it moving. Let's talk about Death Wish Inc. Tom, you're leading us on this one. This is a total mystery to me. Yeah, you know what? Um, I was was going through, you know, how how they have certain labels that they do um, distro for, exclusives for. Mm. Um, A record that I was not familiar with. Bob might be because he's our historian. Mm. Um, Radio Raheem put out the Agnostic Front No One Rules record. Yeah. So it's it's 34 songs across um it's one LP 34 tracks which is fucking perfect is what we want but it's it's recordings right before United Blood and then right before Victim and Pain both by um Don Fury. That's right. Um and it's got like a um a book I mean like if you get any of the Huge book, like stuff, crazy the yeah. books the, the it, it, even if you own the records already or you own the music already the the inserts and stuff are incredible. Um, so yeah, so go to you can go to deathwishinc.com and go to um their stores and it's the the label is called Radio Rahim. Mm-hmm. Um and the record is No One Rules by Agnostic Front. You can't go yeah. wrong with old AF. No, it's it's perfect. It's the uh skeleton skinhead and the skeleton punk arm and arm yep. on the cover. It's awesome. Yeah, these are basically two demos that were done like super early. In reality, um pre-pro yeah yeah (laughs) reality no no, the you know the yeah exactly the the um united blood seven inch is perhaps the most charming bad music in the world like i love it i love it it's perfect the song fight it's 15 seconds of brilliance but it's also 15 seconds and not totally sure uh everyone knows they're playing the same song but that's okay these demos are actually like 
you can tell like, oh, we got something going on here, you know? So right, um, right, right. this is incredible. The, the layout is awesome. So yeah, go check that out. Agnostic Front, No One Rules, uh, deathwishinc.com. Thank you. Guys, how are you doing? How are we feeling? Christian, you are our guest. How are you feeling today, my friend? I'm good, man. I fucked up. I'm sorry that I fucked up your uh, your protocol. How like I was like, I jumped in with a story while you were doing your format thing. I feel like, you know, like when you watch Bill Maher, I don't know if you guys watch Bill Maher, but like when one of his guests talked during new rules and he just gives him a real fucking dirty look. I Did I give you a look? You didn't give me a look, but I felt it. I just <laughs> no, but we always, we <laughs> cut each other off. We tell stories. I go, here's something stupid about fucking Brooklyn Hardcore from 1995 that somehow ties into this. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah, we don't do no, clean but- reads. No, we've talked about it. We we've talked about doing a super mega format episode at some point because we lack that. We we do. There's certain things we do every time. I do the uh, hey, how we doing? How we feeling? Thing every time. Pat does his uh, the hardcore podcast, his little cute intro thing. Um, but then otherwise, uh, this is a free flowing conversation. Yeah, Love the that. intros. I'm last. That's true. Yeah, just so we know, off, like Tom. we're not. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Did uh, did did any of you fellas happen to read the interview that I gave in Stereo Gum the other day? Yes. Why? I won't be offended. No, I did. Well, because I read it because David Anthony wrote it. I didn't write read it because of you. (laughs) What'd you say? I'm gonna look it up right now. Shooting at people. Shot at nobody. Thank you. But but here's here's the thing. I don't blame stereogum.com slash drug church slash Patrick Kinlan. What do we? What am I? I don't know. But listen. I don't blame Tom for thinking that because the point of me mentioning this was when we were talking about interrupting each other, I interrupt myself so much that nothing I say makes sense. And I saw, I saw people online being like great interview. And I was like, great interview. Maybe David Anthony asked great questions. My answers are like, like word salad. They go, I, Tom, did you notice how often I interrupted myself? I read it and I thought I should not. A lot of ellipses. I shouldn't talk. I shouldn't be. I, I shouldn't be allowed a microphone or a telephone. And that's like David, like cleaning it up. And like David's like a pro to get yeah, oh, to that. Like is pretty impressive. So I can only imagine what was on that recording. You know, when I was like fifteen, I interviewed uh, Carl from the Earth Crisis, and and uh, he had the good sense at the end of it to say, "Hey, if you could just uh, take out all the ums and uhs, because I guess somebody had done it." and just done like a super unprofessional thing of including all the ums and every us. single thing. Oh, come on. So, but I'm now going to say, Hey, could you take out everything that makes me look profoundly stupid? Like, I just, mean, I think he did. I don't, he I'm took some stuff out. He took out some stuff. <laughs> he told Wait, me, was this, a, was this a, uh, in-person interview or recording, or did you do this via email? What do we got going on? I think this is recording. Telephone. This is when oh, okay. John Markson broke oh, his shoulder. Oh, right. right, yes, right. That's right. Because I had to track him down and it was like, we're on the way to the ER. John's anyway, shoulders. The po- yeah. The point of this was not to direct everybody to my uh, interview, but rather to point out that I realized that I shouldn't. I inter- If I interrupt myself, I certainly interrupt you poor fellas too often too. Yes. Well, I mean, we appreciate it. I mean, we're, it's a learning curve. You know, we're getting there. God. We're getting there. I thought it was a pretty, I mean, I thought, I, you know what, what you said about clutch was fair. Okay. But like they kept it in like that middle point. Like they never got too high or too low and they, they've become a career band. Uh, um, bandwidth. The, 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 I think you, you're, you cannot do an interview without somehow mentioning that Damien can't sing. Ah, that does come up a lot. 
it's as if it's like I'm gonna have to like I just want to see you guys just fight already. He lost a bunch of weight. It's a little bit even. I have punch each other out and just get it. Over. I truly have no problem with the man at all. It just it just comes up because as my band gets more melodic, I that's the point of comparison that I have. You know what I mean? But I mean, like, like, you know, who's like Leatherface? Yeah. Why but couldn't listen. you just say Leatherface? Frankie couldn't sing either. Yeah. He comes closer than either Damien or I. You know what I mean? So, uh, so, yeah. But uh, no, I never. I I always try to give them their their respect because it's not about taking anything away from them. It's just that like that type of thing stops making sense to me after a while. Like the 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 music clashing with the vocals, and that's but that's the best example I can think of that is also a well liked band that won't take offense. You know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, we'll see next time you're in Toronto. Watch your back when you're in six. Since we haven't talked about me in like five minutes, yes, um, I was a really, <laughs> I was a really bad singer. I was in a hardcore band in the '90s, and uh, I was a terrible singer. I I don't know what you guys were talking about because again, I wasn't really paying attention. I'm just a really bad singer. Um, Do you want to no, well, like you want to drop some riddle in before you and then come back in for no, it? no, no, but no, but kidding. So anyway, though, but like it is funny that nowadays I feel like there's definitely a lot of bands that I listen to. And I haven't noticed that with drugs. I like Joe Church, and I'm not just saying that. Uh, I totally forgot you were even in that band until like two seconds ago. And uh, I was like, why is this guy being even on stereo gum? So, like, I uh, I straight up, like, I've never noticed it with Drug Church. There's definitely some bands that you listen to, and you're just like, how does this dude get away with this? How does this person get away? Like, there's certain bands that are fucking atrocious when it comes to vocals. And maybe you can get away with it. on record. Anywhere. I mean, man, I, I don't want to talk shit because I have a lot, but there's a lot of emo bands. About, yeah. From uh, and again, I, I'm cautious because I'm friends with all these people. But like, if you look at like the emo boom of like the 2000 victory, like you look at some of those, these dudes cannot sing. And it's I like, would like to point out, um, we talked about this literally last week's episode, and yes, I mentioned t- uh, Tom. It, Tom threw shade for a change. I Tom, threw shade. Who, who ne- Tom, who like really never unless Tom's like a sneaky guy because he's he will feel comfortable throwing shade if he has 20 years of background with somebody because he knows that they'll they'll take it in the right spirit and they understand. Otherwise, he, he's he's pretty, pretty even handed. But <laughs> y- you shit, you I'm going to say you shit it on some dudes who you don't know personally. I mean, I don't think Adam Lazara is going to fucking square up with me. He might he, with me, maybe he wears he wears like a biker vest now. He wears cowboy boots, which might fuck me up. But I mean, whatever. Like, yeah, there you go. I'm just saying, dude, dude has, you know, done a thousand times more than I could ever imagine. And he's written some inc- like incredibly popular and catchy songs. Who am I to say? But let me, hold on, let me, let me interject on that. Though. I think that I wasn't, I definitely wasn't even thinking of him when I was, there's people that are like 10 times worse singers than he is. He definitely worked at it. Like there's people you can tell, like when you, listen to now or see now that they definitely realize, yo, this is my career. I have to like step this up. Adam is like a dude that I, I honestly like, I love the way Adam sounds out. Like, especially on that, that new fucking Weezer cover. Sounds great. You know, like we got a thing about conversation. I just had, I just had a a fit. I just had an episode. There's a, there's a (laughs) taking back Sunday Weezer cover. They covered, uh, yeah, Jonas. Like they cover like the first. Yeah, they- Bob. Can you find a way to talk about Agnostic Front right now, please? <laughs> <laughs> what would it sound like if Agnostic Front covered Weezer? So, Stop. I'll be into that. 
Hey, I mean, we get nachos covered Weezer and did a fucking bang up job. Just listen. Uh, All right. Let's talk a little. Let's talk, talk a little bit. Christian. Uh, yeah, I want to talk a little bit more Long Island. Uh, Christian, you're you, you are a uh, long time. Would you call yourself a fixture or, or you do no longer actually live there? Uh, I actually live in Queens, but I live in like, seriously, where I live in Queens, the only thing wow. that makes it not Long Island is that you can't make a right on red. I mean, it's like <laughs> Long Island as fuck. Um, the pizza is better in my hood. Not to knock Long Island pizza, but like, I don't know what it is. And the Chinese food. It's like, a water. Yeah, something <laughs> and the bagels. Something happens is like as long you cross that Nassau Suffolk border and food I'm sorry, Nassau Queens, Queens border. Yeah. And the food just the food's just better. You know, it's like fr- I don't know, I don't know what happens, but there's good food on Long Island, but like, man, something about Queens. Yeah, so I live in Queens. I live in so, Queens. So Christian, you you're we just got into some of the stuff that that's the that era, the taking back Sunday stuff, but you were around well before that and yeah. the and so you probably saw the rise of a lot of the stuff that people now consider classic long island material yeah so christian why don't you give us a little give us in the audience a little of your uh personal history in as long sure. or as short as you'd like to make it uh okay uh you know what i'll probably need to make it long since i do have add and i just need to keep myself interested roll uh, all right so real quick uh i started booking shows in my teens you know, what was your first I, show? My, the, the first show that I booked or the first yeah. show that I went to? The first show you booked. The first show that I booked was a warehouse that me and my friend Josh Schwank, who is went on to be the basis of Cleanser that we've rented out. We were teenagers called the UN, the Underground Network yeah. that was in Homestead, Long Island. The first show that I booked was there. I had like, you know, done like Friends Bands uh, before that, but first like real Long Island hardcore show was like, we did like a VOD show with a bunch of other local bands, Jody Crutch. Uh, I can't remember who else was on it, but that was like the first real band show that I booked, you know, and I was like 16 at the time. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, we always kind of bring this up because we get questions about band, like people outside like the city areas that it's kind of like, how the fuck do I book shows? And like, like you were saying, like you yeah. and your friend found a, a warehouse and just like set it up for it. Now I didn't yeah. realize the UN was like, because there was a big straight edge like fest there. Yeah, me and Neil booked that. Yeah, me and Neil no shit. booked that. Yeah, yeah, that was uh. So I I had I had won some money in a malpractice case from like you know being injured at birth, which is why I look kind of so fucked up. So um, so we I just you know took a couple of those bucks and rented a warehouse and decided to do me and Swank did shows there. And you know when it was done, it, we only it only lasted a summer. But we had like that straight edge fest there. We had and now that was well, like Earth Crisis, Strife, Snapcase. That, that show was insane. That show was Earth Crisis, Strife, Snapcase, Mouthpiece, Silent Majority, One for One, Fallacy. Um, fuck who? Like Birthright. Fucking no joke. Sick of it all. Had just went to Europe with Snapcase and we're just there. And they're like, we're gonna play. And like, dude, I was like, you know, <laughs> little me just starting to book shows. Literally had like the biggest hardcore band in the world. Yeah, asked to play the show and they did. I mean, dude, it was just like, oh no way, yeah, crazy how that should happen. This is what ninety five. Yeah, no, 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 that was ninety four. That was ninety four. So like, that was my first like really foray into doing something for real. And I think also, you know, like a lot of people, I think when you go to shows as a teenager, you just want to find your place. You know, like, I think a lot of people are like, I'll be in a band, which I was. Like I said, I was terrible. So that didn't really work out. But I think that 
a lot of people like back then, and I'm sure it still happens. It's like, okay, am I going to do a zine? Am I going to do sound? Am I going to book shows? Like, how do I get involved in this like thing? And, you know, immediately uh, I felt like when I went to shows, even though it's kind of funny, me and Tom talk about it all the time, how a lot of the Long Island guys are like dicks, you know, they're like really exclusionary <laughs> dicks. Uh, I'll say I don't care, but like, but it was very inclusive to me because I didn't fit in anywhere else. So even though there was a lot of dicks there, I still had a lot more in common with them than the people that I was in high school with or anywhere else. Cause we all like this weird music and we all like, you know, can talk for hours about music, like the way you guys did. And, and as a kid, that's kind of like where I found my place. And I was like, how do I fit into this? And also how do I like really take part of this and, and be involved? I mean, do you want to, I mean, we could go through some of the crazy shows and story, like, sure. Or if you're, so if you're like as a teenager, because I think we get a lot of these questions and, and Bob obviously books the most shows out of all of us or has like, well, how, the three of us, in? not, not so much Christian. <laughs> no, well, no. Yeah. I mean, I've booked like three shows in my life, so I'm not the one, but like, how do you like, What's your method to like kind of when you walk into the VFW hall and you find this, you find the 72 year old veteran. Yeah. Oh, what yeah, do you do to win them over? Um, or what you did? Yeah. So they almost always would refer to it as the battle of the bands for some reason. They <laughs> would or you would? They would. Like okay. when you were going to a VFW hall and be like, Hey, I have a bunch of bands. I want to do a show. And they'd be like, oh, so you want to do a battle of the bands? <laughs> I don't know why. That, like every one of them would say battle of the bands. That's very it's funny. what lets them understand it. Okay, sure. Yeah, they make it. But like not to jump ahead, but there's a really funny story that like I did. Like, every time I did a Hatebreed show back in the day, I would literally get the venue shut down without fail. <laughs> like there's probably Shocking. about five or six different examples of that. But, uh, you know, there was this one Hatebreed show that was about, that was 20 years ago, like, two weeks ago. And uh, there's so many good stories from that. But the story that resonates the most is I got a phone call from the old guy who uh, was really racist and really terrible. Uh, just, you know, just an old, terrible man calls me up and he's like, son, last night, my kitchen was an infirmary. You can't do the <laughs> battle of the pants anymore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, where was that? Center reach? No, that was Babylon. The Babylon. Babylon yeah, American Legion. I'm sure the guy's dead. Oh. So sorry, and so I've called whoever a racist. But I mean, you ever gone to American Legion? Whole fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty crazy. Like that was a thing. Like literally, like doing hatebreed shows or anything heavy in a VFW hall was always really fucking scary because either one of two things would happen. Either like they would get shut down or the older dudes would get stoked on people fighting and be like, that's good. You know, <laughs> <laughs> let me get in there. I mean, it's funny. The show you're talking about particularly, which is cr yeah. crazy to think about now. And, and I'll stop talking and let everyone else talk to. Um, but like, so that was a hate breed weekend because we were on the first three shows of it. Okay. So it was at like Lupo's in Providence. It was at the chance in Poughkeepsie. It was at Northern lights, I think in Albany. So it's like three venues with like infrastructure and like people and bouncers that are adults and are ready to fucking, you know, and then the last day, of the, like we weren't on the Long Island show. I don't know why. Maybe we could talk about it offline, but um, <laughs> yeah, I give you plenty of love, dude. Don't yeah. <laughs> no, no. But yeah. to have that at a VFW. So it's like now my, it's hate breed 
Poison the Well. Converge, God forbid. Uh, sworn Enemy. Sworn Enemy, which a lot, but Jesus Christ, Sworn Enemy 20 years ago, that was like, she like there was just, you know, body bags after those shows. She <laughs> seemed literally like, everybody would walk around like Civil War vets with like, you know, the tape wrapped around. <laughs> Spirit like, of 76, like just walking around. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know what's you know it's interesting though to bring that up um, is that for whatever reason, uh, and I, I've thought about this a lot over the years, VFW halls and places like that would really be the only place that would let us do shows. Sure, there was like you know the Vanderbilt, there was a couple of the Globe, there's a couple of weird venues here and there, like legitimate venues that would let us do shows. But for the most part, most of the big Long Island shows were either at like Deja One, which was a Portuguese men's social club, you know, the PWAC, which with people with AIDS coalition, which was a warehouse that those got, you know, that the, the, the common ground collective rented out. Like most of the shows didn't happen in venue, like real venues. So right, that's right. why, you know, that tour, that Hapri tour probably played real rooms everywhere else. And then like, you know, like there was, you know, 75 year old Saul and his like son setting up the stage at a VFW hall on a Sunday afternoon, because it just, <laughs> That's just literally what we did. And that's also why I think our scene was like really different in a lot of ways because, it, you know, we would have like, you know, literally System of a Down played Deja One. That's you my know? favorite well, song. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. System of a Down played Deja One because when they called me up, whatever it was, like 1999, and they're like, hey, this band just signed to Sony. They're in this big tour. We want to do a show for them on Long Island. I didn't have like a real venue to put them in, you know? Right, so like right. Far and System of a Down, all these like – bands that went on to become big bands literally played halls because that's where our shows were. Yeah. I love, I love all the like big room metal acts that we get. Like, for example, I think you said, God forbid, like the, these bands that like went on to play big rooms, uh, always did. I mean, back then at least always did this, the circuit that included at least a couple VFWs. Yeah. <laughs> Portuguese men's halls. Have which, you ever been? I mean, Deja One was a staple for probably what two or three years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and now this is like Long Island, and I wanted to kind of get into this with you as well. Like Long Island between like probably ninety seven and like early two thousands, probably legitimately one of the biggest scenes in the entire country. Yeah, fair to say. Well, Yo, I, I just want to pull back because yeah. there's a lot of people listening right now who don't know Long Island or what that actually means. So sure. Christian and Tom, you guys are the best to give this context. So explain what Long Island is other than like, okay, y'all, if you look at a map and see New York city, it's a little Island that sticks out to the, to the East of it. Check that out. That's Long Island. <laughs> uh, and I'll let these dudes take it from there. That's the best explanation. I think yeah. it's a sandbar so, that Brooklyn and Queens is yeah. also on. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think I can actually get into this pretty well. So basically, at a point in time, like I think post World War II, when a lot of uh, veterans were coming back, a lot of them like bought houses on Long Island, right? Because people couldn't afford, you know, Levittown, especially in certain places like that. That's where people moved into because they weren't moving into the city. A lot of people were leaving Brooklyn and Queens. They wanted a little bit more space. The houses were cheaper than Brooklyn and Queens. There was actually houses. So that's kind of really how like Long Island, from my understanding, got its start. And then as time went on, totally became suburbia. You know, like I know when I was a kid, I was born in Queens and I moved to Long Island. And most kids that I knew that lived on Long Island, they probably came from Brooklyn or Queens or their parents did. And it was this area where 
it was, you know, an earshot from the city where you could take the Long Island Railroad to get into the city, but it certainly wasn't a city. It was very typically what you think of suburbia, you know, like a 7-Eleven, two, two to a town, the pizza place, you know, like every ride your bike everywhere. Soccer league. And the other, the other interesting thing to say about Long Island too, without totally turning into a history lesson or geography lesson is that Long Island is really unique in the sense that it's comprised of like hundreds of towns that are maybe two to five square miles at the most. And there's just tons and tons of them, you know, and the towns really aren't that big, but everybody's from a town, you know, yep. and, and where that kind of like, you know, really affected the hardcore scene was that every town that had a band had multiple bands, you know, like Merrick, had you know VOD had the warped weeble wobbles later Glassjaw later uh, members of Brand New Lindenhurst every band was from Lindenhurst it was fucking you know so you have these like mini scenes all across right. Long Island like these micro town scenes kind of right so what would happen was you know let's just say a band formed and you know when a band forms in a high school the band becomes popular in their high school so what was happening was all of you know like people that were into that music. And they knew, like, let's say Lindenhurst High School had neglect, mind over matter. That spawned eventually into Sound Majority. Sound Majority spawned into, like, all these other, you know, like, bands that, you know, from that town. So, and then, you know, everybody would, from their towns or little collectives, would show up to shows in other towns. And there would be, you know, the Merrick contingent, the Lindenhurst contingent, the Huntington contingent, the Oceanside, like all these different small towns that had their scenes that would comprise like a fucking dysfunctional Voltron made like one big scene. And that's where like pretty much, you know, all the bands came from. Make sense? Is that good? Was that a good description? That was a good description. Yeah, it's very uh, suburban, but there's parts that are pretty tough. There are parts, yeah, of, yeah. you know, million dollar houses on the water. Um. Less I mean, bands from those parts, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, wow. you name a show, like you name a band. I've been to a show that Christian probably like. You booked that kid Dynamite Saves the Day tour, right? Yeah. And uh, with the uh, Far Side. You just thought of that because he said on the water and that on the show water, and that show was on, on the water. water. Yeah, literally on the water. That, what, that what was town was like, that? Freeport. Freeport. That was Freeport. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, so I've always had this theory too. And like suburbia is where it's happening with, with a lot of scenes. Right. And obviously, you know, New York city, Philly, et cetera, like have always had these amazing scenes, but Connecticut, right? Like you can't look over Connecticut in the nineties, Connecticut, for the most part, suburbia, they had an incredible scene, you know, like, you know, parts of Pennsylvania, you know, Waltz bar, et cetera, like, you know, Scranton, they've had great scenes, Long Island, parts of Jersey. It just seems like, you know, when you go to where there's shit tons of bored ass youth that have nothing to do, they're not in the city, they're going to the mall, they're getting drunk in the woods. Those are the kids that eventually wind up performing a band. Because they just have a lot of free time on their hands. Yep, that's all true. A lot of free times, not, not a lot of free time, and not a ton of culture around them. Uh, right, Christian, it, I got a ton of promoter questions because you've been doing it for a long time. But I, I let's stick with Long Island for a second. And uh, were you were obviously based on your age, you were in the thick of it when Long Island popped, when it was a very big scene. Yeah. Uh, were you with that or uh -huh. were you were you like a hater? Now you told you me like what? early aughts, like when when Long Island became Seattle. 
Yes, when, when that was the when that was the write up. Yeah. You know, it's you know, like I was saying before about this whole weird thing that happened where you had like you know System of a Down and whatever bands that would go on to be you know Under Oath and so many bands you could probably name that went on to be like large bands that played VFW halls. This week, you know, like I said, this thing happened where the Long Island hardcore scene was so big that it just morphed in so many different ways, right? There was this massive ska scene that can't be like overlooked that came out of it where like Edna's Goldfish was huge. Like ska bands that were literally massive in other places would come to Long Island just because how big our scene was. And that was going on, you know, with the hardcore scene. And then really because of Solid Majority, you know, you have to give them all the credit in the world. They really spawn this like other scene that is, I mean, I guess what you could describe it as emo, but you know, sound majority, glass jaw, clockwise, all these bands came from that scene. So you had all these younger kids that grew up idolizing those bands, right? Especially sound majority. So I think what happened was, you know, before sound majority broke up, they were drawing, you know, 500 kids a show, 600 kids a show. And this younger generation is watching that, you know, and they're like, holy shit, this is the kind of music I want to play. And also to be honest, like that music, you know, some majority is not intimidating, you know, like when you would go to a neglect show as a kid, it was fucking scary, (laughs) you know, and there's, there's a thing about hardcore where it's like, it's, you know, certain types of hardcore isn't for everybody because the kids are crowd killing, you know, and you're breaking your nose and it's just like, fuck. But when you go to South majority and it's this all inclusive vibe, everyone's singing, everyone knows each other, everyone's happy. You know, there's a lot of kids that are like, I can do that. And I want to be a part of that. So I think that really is the reason why eventually all the bands you talk about the movie, like, you know, Vinny from movie life, his older brother, his older brother was in the work. Weaver wobbles, which was like best friends with, uh, VOD. So they were part of that scene. Vinny from Movie Life's best friend at the time was Dara from Glassjaw. So it made sense that he was the next generation. You know, Eddie from Eddie Reyes, who started Take It Back Sunday, was in every fucking Long Island band. He was in Mind of a Matter. He was in Clockwise. He was in Inside. He was in Movie Life. You know, and Take It Back Sunday was like the sixth or seventh band he started. And holy shit for him, right? Like he started this band after being tossed out of almost every other band he started. And literally changed the landscape of Long Island. You know, like it's fucking nuts how that kind of happened. It's a funny thing. I've I've heard that Eddie was in every single band at one point. Every band. Does that make him like does that make him like the Walter of Long Island? Is that is that his legacy? I mean he kind of created a sound. He definitely created a sound. I think, you know, I, I love Eddie. Uh he he I talked to him actually yesterday. And I think that, you know, like he just, yeah, I mean, I think he's really overlooked when it comes to the importance of, you know, obviously none of his other bands besides Take It Back Sunday lived up to, like, you know, had like the Walter hype of like the Quicksand Gorilla Biscuits, yeah. Rather Schools, et cetera. But like, you know, he definitely, as far as Long Island, every band that people talk about from Long Island in the like emo machine, he was in. I mean, dude, he was in, you know. And, and what's amazing too is that so many of those bands sound so different. You're like Mind Over Matter sounds completely different than Inside. Movie Life sounds well. I don't want to say they sound different than than Take It Back but they're not clockwise. You know, like all of his bands sounded totally different. And he, I don't know, man. He's really like he really deserves a lot of credit that he doesn't get. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see what. Uh, oh, so you were you were with it is what it amounts to. You like the moment. 
Yeah. Was, you were early on in, in the like you were booking the brand news and the movie lifes and the My Chemical Romances and shit at yeah. like places that were like 200 cap fucking bars. Oh, yeah. Backstreet, Backstreet Blues, which was the Long Island venue that existed yeah. from like 2001 to I don't know. It had a bunch of different incarnations, but that venue was like, holy shit. Like when you look at that venue and you look at like the bands I play, they're like yellow card, taking back Sunday, brand new, the movie life. I mean, most Flash fresh blood, up, throw down. I mean, it's blood, <laughs> throw, down, throw down under oath thrice Finch. Um, uh, like, I mean, it's, you know, between the buried and me, lamb of God, like kill switch engage. Like if you look at that particular venue, that was like the incubator for everything that like a year or two later became massive. And yes, I was with it because to be straight up with you, when I was booking those shows, I never thought of it like this is a different scene, right? Cause what I was trying to get up for and sorry if I fucking veered off, but a lot of those emo-ish bands were so similar to silent majority and the shows that we had been booking for years, for years anyway, I didn't feel like it was a massive departure. You know what it like? It wasn't like one day I woke up and I was booking something different, you know, like I was, they, they they did sound like a lot of the bands that we were already booking. And they were hardcore so, kids, yeah. most of them, yeah, right? And they were hardcore kids, yeah. Like, yeah. And that, that's the important thing to mention is that, like, what I think what's really interesting about that Long Island scene is that they were all hardcore kids. You know, like, every one of them grew up going to shows. So, like, we all had relationships with literally every one of them because they would come see, you know, like, Neglect, Mind of a Matter, Saw Majority, like, so, you know, Tension, Glassjaw, Cleanser, et cetera, like, Indecision, you know? I mean, dude, like, you know, I, you know, Vinny from, what's his name, Vin from Brand New, like, I remember, like, every time I would talk to him when I first met him, we'd talk about Indecision. He loved Indecision. So it's like, a lot of those kids were hardcore, like, straight up hardcore kids. Yeah. Now, different. L- l- let's, let's continue with a little, your personal Long Island history. When did it jump the shark for you? It never did. I don't think no it, I don't, sh- what stop yeah, stop. No, there must have been a moment where you said this is oversold. This is too much. This is corny. There must have been a moment. No, there was. I'll say this. There it's was so a moment. There was a moment where I had to kind of make a decision what I was comfortable with, right? Because like, growing up as hard like as a hardcore kid, and I'm sure there's probably people that'll listen to this and comment and be like, "Fuck him," you know, like he's a sellout, whatever. But the truth is, like, I did this independently for a very, very, very long time, you know, from the point that I was like, like I said, 16 to I didn't work for the company I work till now till I was 31 or 32. So, like, I did this by myself for a long ass time. And as the scene got bigger, you know, I went from booking shows that had two to three hundred people to two to three thousand people. And for me, I had to make that decision, like, can I do that? You know, like. There's a massive liability because of money. There's a massive liability because of insurance. You know, like, you know, starting to get sued because, you know, kids that weren't seeing kids would come to shows. And, you know, that's to me, like, not that I totally, I, I totally get the jump to shark thing. Cause yeah, some of it I look at and I'm like, ah, whatever. But like it evolved, you know? Um, but th- just the size of it got really difficult for me to do by myself, you know, cause that it just became impossible. And I mean, I went from, you know, it's funny. There would always be these rumors about me that I made all this money, dude. I lost shit tons of money, like shit tons of money. Like I call that math magicians. The people who are like, well, that show cost $12 and there was like yeah, 800 kids there. So he must've made, you multiply that and they yeah. take that number and say, that's what he must've made. It's uh 
That's not how it works. I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's, listen, 100% people make money booking shows. I mean, it's what I do for a living now, right? But, you know, I think back then there was such a, like, there was such a stigma to, like, making money off a show you booked. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, and, and, I, and I did, I did at a point in time book shows with a pretty terrible dude that did make money off shows. And he would like brag about it as it was funny. He would like always like brag about how much money he made while I was like living at my mom's house, like, you know, losing money on shows. So I get it. Like why people like talk shit about it. But yeah, I, I fuck man. It, it was, a, it was really a labor of love for a long ass time. Now and, uh, yeah, you have to show uh, receipts. Like I spent $500 on this. Here's the 500 bucks that I made for flyers. Here's like, yeah. you'd have to like to every single person at your hardcore show to make sure you didn't go home with more than a dollar. Well, you know what, you know, what's not food. I remember like, you know, I, and again, to your jumping the shark question, I like at a point in time, Long Island came from like being a hardcore scene to where it was like one big scene, right. Where like, the Scott kids were going to see Takeback Sunday and, you know, the other, you know, the, the, the kids that like the super heavy, like Tension, I love those guys. Tension was like always the straight up hardcore band from Long Island. But those dudes would go to every show and eventually Joe from Dearly Departed, which is a straight up emo band, you know? Um, so it, like all of the scenes started like kind of meshing into one. And the first big bands that I ever really booked that actually got big guarantees was Les and Jake and like Scott bands. You know, those bands, because they're not, you know, and to each his own, like they weren't hardcore bands where they'd be like, yeah, we'll take a piece of the door. They had guarantees, they had deposits, they had riders. And doing those shows was tough because I, you know, wanted to do it because, again, I wanted to like have this all inclusive scene where like Deja One would have a song majority show one weekend, the next weekend to get up kids and the weekend after that mustard plug. You know, that was cool. But, you know, they just worked in a different world than I did. And those guys got paid. I remember, dude, I'll never forget this. I booked Les and Jake at a basement of a church called, I don't even fucking remember the church, but whatever, 1999. And I gave them a lot of money. And uh, it was like thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars. And after I paid them on the bus and the singer of Les and Jake came over to me and he was like, does this make sense for you? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, did you, did you do okay? And I was like, yeah, I, I actually did. I didn't lose money. Yeah. He's like, All right. He's like, you can tell us it's totally cool. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, like, A, that rules. And like I said that and B, like not everybody who does this is an asshole, which, you know, a lot of people are. And, and believe me, I've been with bands who've made me clear my ATM machine as a kid, um, you know, but you know, like you, you fucking realize that like, there are people that make a living doing this, right? So a lot of times when those bands make you clear out your ATM, it's because this is their full-time job. You know, right. for me as like a whatever age, I, that was my full-time job. And, you know, it sucks, but, you know, and I know it kind of goes against everything that I kind of thought as a kid going to hardcore shows, but like, you know, I, I don't know. I think about this a lot where it's like, People make money off of being in a band. And a lot of times it doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> you know, like, you know. I think that's such, I mean, the way you put that is great. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. There had to be a few moments along your journey, probably early on, too, with that, where, you know, like what the guy from Less Than Jake asked you, he's like, did this make sense for you? And, yeah. and in that case, it did, you know? What were moments, and you know, you can be as specific or vague as you like, um, but what were a couple moments where you're like, man, that didn't make sense? And ha- and what did you learn from that going forward? Because I think that's something people don't understand. Sure. For people on the promoting and booking side is you start to get a feel whether it's both like kind of an inherent like a gut instinct or just something learned about like where you're at and what works and what doesn't. But there's things that you learn and those things change over time one way or the other. And it's like the calculated risk. So, you know, give us give us some examples in like the a, a memorable time where you learned something and how you applied it moving forward. Sure. So, um, you know, one thing I could tell you, which is a pretty interesting story is that I booked, and I can say names, this nothing, but I booked, uh, you know, like in the late nineties, it was evident to a lot of kids. And I know this is big now, but a lot of kids were getting more into death metal, especially in like the Long Island Park. And Long Island is great death metal bands, fucking pyrexia, internal bleeding, suffocation, of course, mm-hmm. there's tons of them. So, I had booked a Nile emulation show at Deja One. They had an agent, you know, and uh, we were, and and I knew the agency because at the time, you know, they booked Earth Crisis, some other bands. And they're like, "Hey, you should book, you know, this package." And I was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a stab." And uh, you know, they sent me a writer, like a specific tech writer, and <laughs> I I didn't know what the fuck. Honestly, I didn't was you know like right you're it's it's it might as well be uh hieroglyphics kind of thing dude i'm telling you man like i i just really believed in this like hey we have this community we're gonna make it work like you know uh you know we don't have mic stands i'll go buy them at sam ash like i mean i would always do shit like that i I never thought there would be a scenario where we couldn't make it work until i booked that nile show like build out Nile, the stage. <laughs> dude, Niall straight up, I'll never forget it. It was just like, you know, and to their credit, I don't think they're being dicks. They were just like, we can't make it work. And not because like they didn't want to, just probably because whatever the way their show was set up, it just didn't work. <laughs> fucking Emulation, who I, I recently booked a show for at Urban Plaza, were like, we're fucking playing. And they were so fucking cool. And I remember like them just being awesome. And super fucking legit dudes and play the show regardless of like the PA limitations. And I don't even think took a guarantee, right. but you know, but I remember like, no matter how cool Nile was, they were just like, we can't do it. And their agent called me that night to get the guarantee because it wasn't my fault <laughs> because it was my fault. So right, right, that was wow. like, yeah, that was a fucking, that was like really a lesson learned for me where you're just like, holy shit. I had, and I had something similar that year happened, like with this, the ska band Bucko nine, super nice nope. guys, but their tour manager, you know, they had like a, some fucking dude that was like, I toured with Nuge and I toured with this guy and <laughs> mm-hmm. he, you know, just fucking, you know, road dude that just wants to beat up the kid and show off his fucking knowledge. That made me just feel like shit. Eventually, you know, like made me spend, an additional, like, I think two or $3,000 the day of show on sound stuff 
because he just wanted to flex his muscle and be like the show. So I, I so yep. that I wound up losing a bunch of money yep. just because I had to pay this. And again, band was super cool, but they had this guy representing them. And uh, yeah, and just I learned who was just kind of going through for your throat, where the band maybe was like would have tried to make things work, but this dude's like, nah, this is the way it is, and just right. put it to you. Right. Right. Because he was showing off. You know what I mean? Like he was also like flexing his dick to be like, watch how I can fucking get this kid. And I remember at some point he was like, call me sir. And I was like, you know, and I had all my fucking hardcore kid friends there that were like, fucking kill this guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but it was, you know, because like my security were like hardcore kids, you know, and they were like, who the fuck is this dude? You know, but you're a- trying to balance the line where you're like, I'm also trying to be appropriate and do this right. the right way and yeah, be the, pro, you know, yeah. promote. Right. Yeah. Oh, meanwhile, yeah. Bryce is uh, ready to fucking Christian. break this dude's neck. <laughs> Bryce literally is going to kill this guy. And, yeah. <laughs> Christian que- question building out of uh, the way that people talk to each other in your business. I'm always, I'm always appalled. It's like watching those cop shows where cops talk to other cops and <laughs> FBI agents like, like they're pieces of shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, like McClenzie, I told you this is my case. Get the fuck out of here. Like that sort of thing. And like, are you just totally, is there, is there no phasing you now? Like, are you at that point where it would take, like you and I have a mutual friend who deals with so many pieces of shit straight up nothing phases him like yeah. like uh you, you you could you could really come for him on on a personal level and the next day he'd call you back and say okay so we're going to talk about that that money thing and and is is that uh where you find yourself or do you still get cuz like tom i don't think i need to i don't think this is like a secret tom takes everything personally you know, I mean, you can't wrong Tom. Tom remembers a wronging. Do you, but it, it, but it, it, in right. in your in your business, you get somebody attempts to fuck you at least what once a week. You know what that's, I mean? So yo, that's that's the that's that's why. Yes, I mean you're so right. Everything you just said, and that's for me. What's like kind of crazy is that when you go from like a community, a scene, to like making this a full time job, because you know, like in the world that I grew up in there was a certain people that you didn't talk to like that, you know, and you knew that you couldn't. Um, And then, you know, eventually, and because of that, I think I was always very cautious with the way that I talked to people because I knew in the world that I was in, you can get beat up real easily, you know? Um, You know, low low key, like a a good life lesson from hardcore. Yes. That's a weird thing. Wow. Okay, good. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's super true. And I think about that all the time is that like, when you grow up going to shows, you are taught this like level of respect where, you know, you don't necessarily, like everybody has a reputation, right? Like, you know, the people you can fuck with and you, know, you can't fuck with or shouldn't fuck with. And I think because of that, there's a certain amount of like respect that you learn to have for people, you know, that like that. And I think about that, like when I'm, when I'm like, when I'm like, you know, at the fucking red light and the guy's honking at me behind me, I'm like, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm like, I don't want to fucking fuck with this guy. He could be like, you know, the fucking Isaac in his world, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he could be like the toughest guy. I don't know who this guy is. And it's like, you know, because when you grow up in this world, like, you know who the, you know, you, you understand, you know, like, there's a certain people that you respect. And I think for me, learning that respect moving forward 
is like I try to, you know, to my best ability, treat every respect, no matter how shitty they are to me. Because you're right, dude. There's some shitty fucking people. Like the, the way that like people talk is that like, and it's and it has something to do with like a hierarchy. You know, I think everybody. It happens in every business that people. You know, I'm sure in the you know the fucking insurance salesman who's been at it for 30 years talks like a dick to the fucking insurance man who's been there for two years. You know, like sure. it happens in everything. But you know, because show business has this like celebrity attached to it. I think people feel like they can get away with it like way more, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think I, it's always I, such like a weird give and take to between promoter and like booking agent and stuff. It's like one, it's this like taught, like kind of like the booking agent is trying to get every last penny that they can get, you know, and you're trying. So it's like kind of like this push and pull. So it's like, it gets pretty aggressive and also, yeah. I mean, thinking about like you were saying about like hardcore, like how many civilians have seen like one person like fucking destroy another human being? We've yeah. all seen it because we've all been to shows, but like the right. standard, like I go to the mall on a Saturday. You've never seen the, the level of beating that we have all seen. Yeah. It sobers you up to kind of go like, you know, like, I don't know about that person. He has like cauliflower ears. Like, you know what to look for. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some people that are just like, you know what? Today's the day. I'm going to like fuck with this guy. Like there's people that the, the, the fellow you brought up that go, today's the oh. day. I'm, I think I'm going to try to like, why would you look at that human being and be like, I'm going to fuck with this dude. It never right. ends and, well and, for you ever. Right. But, but I think that's what's, that's what's like, you know, and I, and I learned that I think everybody, right. That with the Harker show is like, you learn that there's a certain people you don't mess with. So then like when you're walking in everyday life, you don't know who those people are. You don't know like the guy that you're going to fuck with, you know, like get into an argument at the gas station or the pizza place. Right. Is that guy. Right. Might be at the end of his rope is like, fuck it. I'm going to stab this dude. Just because my wife like gave me more time. And it's like, dude, I, I, and it's just not worth it. It's like, you know, to me, it's like, I I try to, I don't know, man. Have I yelled at people? Of course. Has everyone yelled at people? Because one thing I will say is that working in music, especially like it's stressful as fuck you know and and i think a lot of the that heightened level of anxiety and volatility comes from you know just how easy you know like i was saying before like how easy it is to lose money how much people like you know make a living doing this you know and it's i think because of those things there is like a real volatile <laughs> sense where and like, you're responsible for human beings hundreds yeah. and thousands of human beings in one space uh christian a, a question for you uh, and then i'll let these guys go in uh, on no i have i wrote a bunch of questions in the chat if we oh, want to bring yeah, up Tom, and you yeah, can, yeah yeah you can rock yeah yeah uh, just okay. so we can ask them just and yeah 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 and sorry christian normally the, the format for having guests on this podcast is not usually it's really casual but we know we know we don't have you for long so we're just gonna yeah. jam you up with some <laughs> some uh uh promoter stuff uh I find promoters the most interesting because I think of like everybody assumes that playing music is rewarding. Everybody understands that. So like <laughs> people, people get why I do what I do. Sure. Uh, and, and there's, there's a creative component to dudes that make zines and shit like that. But when your creativity is management, people don't seem to understand that in a way, you know what I mean? And, uh, but I think that it's, a thing that certain people have an aptitude for, and it is their gift, uh, or it's just something that they enjoy and they want it to be, they want to be good at it, which is fine too. But like the, the thing I think is interesting is 
you could take your management skills and go to any other career you wanted at this point. You got a nice resume. Why do you continue to deal with like the least reliable, most volatile, difficult pieces of shit on the planet? So when I was furloughed for like nine months, I, w- I wish we would have had this comment. You should have given me that, that, that pep talk a year ago when uh, there was no music <laughs> industry and I didn't have a job. Um, well, first and foremost, I, I love this shit. You know, like there's everybody kind of loves the chaos, you know, like anybody who is around chaos that is addicted to it loves it a little bit. Right. And uh, I think that to your point of, yeah, you're super creative when you're in a band, you're creative when you do a zine, you're creative when you're a producer, you're creative when you're an artist. But, you know, the idea for me of like putting a festival together is a certain kind of creativity. The way you market a show is creative. The way that you put bands together is creative. Um, You know, while I certainly feel like if you book the calendar of a venue, your creativity is kind of stifled. It is rewarding when, you know, it was, I'll say this, when um, I, w- I did go back to work and we had these like blank canvases of calendars of venues, right? Because venues are closed for years. So you had these blank canvases and you really got to like, you know, mix it up and do different things. Some things worked and some things didn't, but I think that that's where the creativity came in was when we can be like, hey, you know what? The Lemonhead should play a show. Hey, you know, it'd be awesome. Like, you know, you know, like for example, like like Turnstile, you know, they were gonna wait. When I when Turnstile played Evan Plaza, they were gonna, I think like, you know, the record came out, they, they weren't gonna play shows for like months later. And I called up their agent, their manager, and I was like, yo, they should play Irvin now. Like, let's do it now, you know? And like, and they did, or wanted to be in this amazing show. So I think like in that situation where you can get creative and be like, yo, let's do this. Let's have, you know, I have an open date on the calendar. Let's get this band to reunite. I have, you know, like th- this show just, you know, fell apart. Let's do this instead. That's where I think creativity kicks in. So to your point, it does have a bright side. You know, like I understand the side you see it. And when you're like, fuck this, but you know, like, I don't know, man, like when you walk in a room and there's a few thousand people there or in a festival and there's like 10,000 people in an arena, whatever it is. And you think to yourself, like this started with an email, you know, like this started with a phone call, you know, yeah. I know I'm romanticizing <laughs> it, but you know, but it, it is cool to think like this thing I put together worked and all these people are here there is something yeah, I, but that. that's relatable i i understand like the problem solving element makes total sense the kind of uh what can i put in the mix and actually pull it off makes sense uh i get that it just i guess for me it's difficult because i mean tell me if i'm wrong you must have no illusions about bands being the coolest dudes you know what i mean like you yeah. like zero illusions about that because you see you see people at their fucking worst like dirt worst yeah. um you know what again i'm gonna go back to the lessons learned in hardcore uh i i kind of hardcore is such an interesting place right because when you're a kid going to shows you easily become friends with the bands that you worship you know like a lot of people do a lot of people like have that opportunity at an early age to meet people and to be honest you know like there were some people that aren't aren't awesome you know that like that you're like oh, i don't know i don't know. and like without naming names like you know there's people that you idolize and then you get to know them and you're just like they're a normal person they make the same mistakes they mispronounce words they fucking burp you know they like 
do things that are like, you know, that are, that are, you know, faulted. And, you know, and for me, like I thought about that a lot when it went to the next level and I started meeting people that were like a big deal. You know, I've seen some really funny shit over the years and, uh, you know, it kind of like makes you think. And again, thank I, I, I say this all the time. I, thank God that I started as a promoter doing, you know, like knowing all the bands. And also too, the thing, the other advantage that I think I have too, is a lot of the bands that are big now that I book, I booked 20 years ago when they were VFW whole bands. So I knew that. So I think like, you know, when you get that, like to see what's behind the veil and you actually know people and you know, if they're awesome, they're not awesome, whatever it is, it makes you kind of like expect less out of people. Because that's one thing that I think everybody can relate about is that like when you do meet somebody in a band or you do tour with somebody, you know, like, yeah, there's nice people, but there's not nice people. And it re- and the last thing you ever want to do is not like a band because the person in the band is a dick. So you have to set, I think you have to set your expectations. Make sense? Make sense? Yeah, totally. yeah, I mean, uh, trust me, I, I just walk into every exchange with a band, assuming that they're total. You assume the worst. Yeah, yeah, I do. Do you assume the worst too? Like when as things get bigger, you're like, this is going to be a pain in the ass. And then you're like, like, like happily surprised when you see somebody who's like huge. That's like a regular human. You know, it's interesting. And I've noticed it from having a lot of like friends or like booked a lot of bands that like blow up. I think there's like a year, right? I think that there's a year where everything changes, where you're recognized in the mall, where, you know, you're on TV, where you're playing TV shows where like your head's going to blow up a little bit and you're going to adjust. And after that year, either you're a dick or you're the person you were before that year. And Interesting. yeah, I'm Makes telling you like, really, like think, yeah. Think about that for a second. Think about the people that you knew that like, you know, were are, are at a point where they're blown up and like at a point in time, they might not have been cool, but I think that like, there's so many bands that I can name that I won't because I don't want to shit, but like, you know, that are just super cool guys. Like, I mean, for example, My Chemical Romance, uh, you know, I booked them for the first time to 20 people. I didn't get it. I booked them a second time to 30 people. I didn't get it. You know, all these times and, you know, they were just fucking cool. And that's why I honestly booked them. One day I watched them and I was like, holy fuck, this band's going to be massive. And they are straight up the fucking coolest people on the planet. Because they just happened to be band people. You know what I mean? Like, they just, you know, they were the biggest band in the world. And they dealt with it and they realized how to deal with it. Now they're just fucking cool dudes that, like, I talked to, you know, that talk about wrestling and hardcore and, you know, fucking whatever, you know? Um, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, does that help because you got in early? Do you think for a lot yeah, of, of these course. things? You know, like, yeah. Um, yeah. But there's all the, there's, you know, there's. There's tons of other people that I've met like along the way that I didn't know in the beginning. And I just, and don't, yeah. but dude, there's also people I know for 20 years that are fucking assholes that I don't want to talk to. <laughs> one of those Straight up. I mean, Pat's been insufferable when the, at the drug church trajectory, he's just been, yeah, no, my last getting year. Bad. He's really kind of like, you got to fucking put butter on his head to fit him through the door. It's right, just, so Pat, I don't, Pat, to put you on the spot, like, you know, your band does well. You have a popular band. A lot of people talk about your band. Tom, don't make fun of them. Uh, I love I'm George. sure you probably at a point in time like thought about am I, how am I adapting to the popularity of my band? Am I become like, how is this affecting? 
Oh no, I, I we're still too small for me to think about that sort of shit. But it, but should we should we like break through a little bit more? I think I'll have the advantage of being really old. So like it <laughs> it it does sure. like so forty four years to get yeah uh, from <laughs> from the start of drug church to now he's a ripe eighty five. So yeah. you know yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, uh, so should like for the record, like my band's nowhere near big enough that I should I should ever have a big head. But like if uh, if that surprised. should happen for if that should happen for any yeah, that's actually true. There's guys who are smaller who have bigger heads. That's true. Right. Well, that was my point. Is that yeah. I think that there are definitely people that are in bands that aren't even half the size of Drug Church that you know have an ego that think they are. I mean, it, there's this you know uh, you know Tom, think about this, or uh, all you guys think about this. Think about like this weird idea of being part of a scene where there's hundreds of thousands, you know, hundreds and or maybe thousands of people in the scene and your band is popular and you're the, it's like the equivalent of being the popular kid in high school, you know? And like think about growing up, how we saw certain people were super cool, but other people had inflated egos, you know? And like, it's just, it's just, it's just a human psyche, right? Like everyone's going to react differently. Some people are going to be cool with everybody. Like, you know, admiring their band, you know, liking them, recognizing them. And some people are going to think they're the shit. And it's you a know, social honestly, experiment. It really is. And like, yeah. think of, dude, I, again, you know, like not to talk shit because everyone I think has grown up, but like there's so many fans that we grew up with man, back in Long Island. They were just assholes. They were just assholes because like they could be, and they thought that everyone loved them. And, you know, it's like, Inspirited, yeah. 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 The, the, uh, I wonder about this sort of shit. Cause like, you know, there's the stereotype that, like, it's not so much a stereotype. Priests are always in the news for for the for that thing that priests are in the news for. Sure. And then yeah. you, and then you go, oh man, these guys are. What's up with this? And then you find out that dentists have the same level of uh, like charges like that. And that's what I always think about with like band dudes. Like, are band dudes sociopaths or are there sociopath plumbers? And just nobody talks about them because it's not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like, sure. it, is sure. is the propensity to be like just a giant sociopath narcissist piece of shit like does that uh is that more is that prevalent than one thing uh, yeah like I, I like, like clearly you're going to be drawn to it because you're on stage and there's lights on you and shit like that but like what if you are just like the most peacocky electrician <laughs> in your in your region like you just like you're the guy with the van that's got like the really nice paint on the side of it or whatever you know okay but i think the parallel to your comparison is the fact that the priest is in a very unique situation and the plumber's not. And in the world of the person in a band, they're in a very unique situation. Yeah, they're going to get the accolades and it, like all right. the stuff that feeds narcissism for sure. Right. They're going to, you know, a priest is a beloved figure who's celibate, you know, like, yeah. you know, when you're in a band, you're a beloved figure, you know, no matter who celibate. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> people, people like, you know, people worship band people. You know, like, I mean, it's, it's fucking crazy. Um, you know, when you think about the fact that like how much people love music and how much people idolize singers, guitarists, etc., And then in our world, you have close contact with those people. You have like, you know, you they're, they're right there. Like they're buying merch, they're hanging out. You know, I remember, I remember like being young and, you know, seeing like, you know, fucking whoever, you know, trying to think of who, who, you know, where was Chaka or fucking, you know, like anybody in sick of it all or like, you know, being in a show and being like, you know, Toby being like, holy shit, you yeah, know, like right. being super impressed because you're in the same room with these people. But 
you know, there's no there's no wall like there is when you go see System of a Down or fucking any of these bands because everyone's just hanging out, you know, and that's that's what's like crazy about our world. Um, I don't even know where the fuck I'm going with this. Crazy about our world is that like there is that like there's there's no you know there's no it's access uh, no curtain yeah. Have you do you, do you maintain the mystique for for people or do you blow it up? Like for example, when somebody's crazy about a musician, you know, like let's say I don't know, like Dinosaur Junior. Because they, we talked about yeah. like somebody's like oh Jay Mascus is the coolest, and you're like yeah I just had to have. Uh, I just had to have like an intern clean the toilet after him. He's not that, he's not that cool. Like, you know what I mean? Because I got a black olives instead of green olives or something. Like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's not my fucking play. Like I don't, cause I, I dude, that, whatever. Corniness aside, I love music. That's why I fucking do this. That's what like we all do. Right. I mean, whatever we fucking, we can admit it. Like me and Tom can talk about fucking, you know, I don't know, like a period of music that lasted for six months for a nine hour car ride and talk about every nuance because nope. we love music. Right. And like, I don't necessarily want to be the person that's going to fuck that up for yeah, something. Yeah. You know, it's not fair to do that because people have done that to me, you know, like where they're being like, Oh, this person's a dick. And of course, you know, like, you know, examples of people that are dicks, you know, of course, I mean, everyone, you know, people have their reputation precedes them, but I, I don't, I, I try not to do that. Like, yeah, sure. Me and Tom talk about everything. So I'm probably like, yeah, this guy's a dick. But oh, I punish poor gonna, Christian. I go, what about this guy? What about this? But I'm not gonna. Guy? I'm not gonna say that to like a kid. You know? No, what I mean? no. Like, you do. You're, you're, you're. Yeah. Why? 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 It's funny because right. We're there's a hardcore podcast and we're talking about it. And it's um. There's this reality of who a person is, um, but that can sometimes interfere with the vision of what a, a band is to a person. Sure. And 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 it's sort of this this hard dynamic where it's like, yo, look, what that band is, regardless of its fucking U two or Metallica or a hardcore band, that importance that they mean to you can really matter, no matter whether those people are really nice or fucking Lars. You know what I mean? Like if they're cool or they're total douchebags. But I oh, get Lars. it. You don't want to be the one who shoots and goes. Oh, that's your favorite band. That shit means a lot to you. Let me tell you about how that dude right. the homeless guy once. Yeah, that's, like, that, that's a person for sure. Somebody, there's people that love to do that shit. Every uh, once in a while, I go. By the way, that band's bullshit. I do that. Sorry, oh, maybe I mean, if you're not nice, like whatever. But if a band is like full of shit and like disingenuous, like there was a band in the '90s that would be like fucking McDonald's, fucking burn down every McDonald's. It's terrible. It's a corporation. It's a multi-death corporation. All this sort of stuff. And like, I, I, you were eating Burger King. Like I literally <laughs> watched you eat Burger King. Tom, they just they they're just very partisan in their they like burgers. frame boi- broiled and not like whatever. Broiled. Yeah, flame broiled, man. That's you know what I'm saying? Like, they are like, thinking of the people. Like they're bl- frame flame boy. I can't even speak. Christ, <laughs> <laughs> um, Christian. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to hijack one of your questions, Tom. Please do. No, go ahead. No, I just wanted to yeah make sure that we hit everything. Um, and just kind of, we like the the fantasy booking stuff, which is fun, but also, you know, like to kind of anything, you know, I'm a kid and I'm 19 and I'm in fucking, you know, Omaha, Nebraska. And I want, you know, like I'm pissed, like bands aren't, I think, you know, your experience, cause it was kind of like, there were the older folks, like, like Artie Philly, Artie Shepard and all these bands, like kind of booked some stuff. So we had like. You know, I won't say we because I didn't do anything. Um, I showed up to the shows, um, played them every once in a while. 
Um, but like you had something to build off of. Like if you were like, what would you give like a kid starting out without kind of like having that, you know, what advice would you give somebody to kind of be like, fucking find someplace needs the money and we'll be happy to have you and your 75 friends come in and play a show. Well, I think, I think, uh, it's gotta be much harder now, right? Because you're talking about a difference of almost 30 years when I started to now, where a lot of bands that barely have a following have booking agents. Yeah, everybody's got a booking agent. It right. Is so, right. So, I mean, back then, you know, the biggest bands in our scene didn't have booking agents. So I could work out like a realistic deal with them. I do feel like it's harder now. Not impossible because, you know, maybe in Omaha, Nebraska, fucking, you know, I don't know somewhere, you know, Labrador. Canada, there's like a bunch of bands in the scene. Like, you know, maybe who, who knows? Maybe yeah. know, Maybe maybe there's a bunch of bands there. But like, I, okay. But let's just say you have access to bands. It can even be literally one band. You know, like you know, I I I remember, and I'm sure you guys all have stories like this. You know, touring with friends' bands. You know, Cleanser, the band that I was in, really didn't tour. We did Europe, and then we broke up because we were terrible. But um. You know, but I toured with all my friends' bands, and I remember going to like Montana and fucking North Carolina and like all these like places that had really small towns, and hundreds of people would show up to these shows, not because they knew Sons of Abraham or Glass or some of these bands that I was with, literally because there was nothing else to do. So I feel like you know, I, you know, and I'm sure you've you've definitely probably had those shows where like okay. you probably play like a barn in Montana and there's all these kids that show up that like push mosh because yes, they were just psyched, they, have something to do on a Friday. Something to do. Yeah. So, and again, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about Long Island before. And that is like suburbia, even rural areas have always so much going on because there's nothing going on. So if you could like figure, I remember one already fairly told me and it was probably the smart, you know, and already gave me a lot of shit. And even though like, you know, I, I like already now he's fucking jerk. And but like you know, he said something to me that was important, and he goes, "If there's no scene, create a scene." And I remember thinking about that, and I'm like, you know, that's right. And I would literally go up to kids in the mall that were wearing a nine inch nail shirt and hand them flyers, or I would go if Red Hot Chili Peppers was playing at Jones Beach, I would go outside that show and hand out flyers because I would always think that like people that like that stuff are one step away from getting into the bands that I that I'm sure you know. And, you know, you know, you know, for example, you know, it's like Pat, like, you know, there's probably a kid that loves Blink-182 that would like drug church, but doesn't know drug church exists. You know, like there's a million of those kids out there. And I, and I would suggest that if you want to start doing shows, that's the first thing you need to figure out is how to target people that might not know this music, but probably would like it. And there's a lot of kids out there and whether it means fucking standing outside the hot topic in your mall you know, in Duluth, Minnesota and handing out flyers for three hours, you're going to find those kids that probably give a shit about the music that you're going to book. Yeah. yeah, dude, that's great. That was, uh, th- that was the strategy when I was booking shows was, uh, you know, what's the most off-brand person that might also like this yeah. <laughs> was uh, part of the game. Crossroads Mall. So Pat, uh, steal my, uh, and then we'll ask some show questions and then yeah, Christian, we won't ha- we won't hold you forever. Let, let, but I I see a list of things. Forever. I see a list on things to talk about. 
I don't know how much you're allowed to talk about it. You booked an absolutely massive show or at least had a hand in it. Are you allowed I mean, to talk about that giant show? Let's see. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, so, so uh, yeah, let me see how to talk about this. So you know, can like, you see I, the, can you see yeah, the, the chat? Okay. Uh, yeah. I see it. So, you know, what are you talking about? The misfits? Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So like, you know, um, I, you know, the cool thing, the cool thing about being a hardcore kid or like, you know, somebody with roots in the punk rock hardcore scene, when you work for uh, a larger company is that a lot of times people do kind of ask your opinion on stuff, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And because I understand, you know, there's this weird thing that happens, right? Where a band is a hardcore band or a punk band and they break up and 20 years later they become an arena band you know like think about it like like i'm probably the only person on the fucking planet that booked a refuse show how many years ago and then did one again because think about it like refuse broke up they were playing hardcore shows you know they yep. played from they 100 a, kids right they did a snapcase tour and a, and a frodish tour in the u.s and i think that was it Yep. And then, you know, we had, we had made a bunch of offers for them to play Bamboozle and they had passed because I don't think the money was anywhere near what some of the other bigger festivals were. But, you know, but I mean, but I was the only one that like had an understanding of what the band was. So I think like there's this interesting thing, you know, I mean, American Nightmare, for example, you know, they we had a show with them the other night. And when they were a band, they weren't playing large venues. They were playing, no. you know, like hardcore shows and BFWs, yep. but the mystique of them became so big when they broke up. So all of a sudden they're a big band. And I think, you know, in regards to what you're talking about, you know, because I grew up, you know, obviously I love Metallica and, you know, the first time I ever heard the Misfits was Metallica. I just, you know, like loved it. And then there was that, you know, rumor that the Misfits were going to come back and they were going to play Riot Fest. And then, you know, we, I was lucky enough to work on it. And, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, I, I don't do arenas. So that was like, mm-hmm. I have, but that's not really what I do. But, you know, this band that I booked, you know, every incarnation of the Misfits before then, and I booked Danzig a bunch of times. So it just kind of made sense that I worked on it. But yeah, it was like, that was, that was pretty crazy. That was surreal. It was surreal. Again, you know, what's also crazy about that is that like these bands that you grow up listening to, and then when you see it live, like who the fuck ever thought you'd see the Misfits in an arena, you know? I mean, it totally makes sense given how many fans the Misfits have. You know, but that's not like, but when you listen to it, you're just like, oh, I'm going to see this at Urban Plaza. I'm going to see this at Webster. I'm going to see this wherever. You don't think you're going to see that in an arena. So like 18,000 people over the fuck. Right. Seeing that come to fruition with everyone singing along. It was, it was, that was special. And Murphy's Law playing an arena probably is one of my favorite things that I've ever seen. Because Jimmy handled that crowd so well. And it translated in front of the, whatever was there at the time when they went on 10,000 people. It was so fucking cool thing. Mur- I, I, literally, when anybody asked me about that night, I'm like, Murphy's on an arena, the coolest thing about that fucking night by far. Yeah. Uh, and now, so do you get to pick some of the bands that opened? No. Not that, no. That, was, no. that was like, that was, that was. Uh, that was that comes from on high. Yeah. But, I mean, it was, uh, yeah. So it was Harley's Cro-Mags, Murphy's Law, right? Suicidal. Saddle, yeah. We, I mean, you know, I, I you know, usually I, I like to kind of give ideas, and again, because like since I do have a background in that world, my opinions asked, but I always don't get like you know, the band's like, yeah, of course, I, you know, of course. 
I'll suggest it, but I always don't get like the, you know, the definite like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Jimmy, I mean, owned fucking Newark, whatever it's called, Prudential Center. Yeah. The funniest thing he said, you remember there was like a kid that was getting squished in the barricade and he, and he's like, everyone back up and no one backed up. He's like, all right, I'm going to take a survey. Do you want it? Do you want to have a fun time or smush kid? Everyone for fun time. Raise it. Everyone for smush kid. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And then he bring the kid up on stage and like they sat on the lip yeah. of the sage and cool. like did a song. That's cool. That's awesome. That's yeah, cool. It was, it was good. A guy is Jimmy's by far one of the best. Like if you look at that dude, you're like, he's the epitome of what a front man should be. He's like just a gift. You know, he's definitely forever. The master of ceremonies just has an on-stage gift. Yeah. That's a fact. Uh, Christian, it, uh, on the list of uh, 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 demands, the, li- the, the list, the list of uh, things to talk about. I like Damn. this question a lot. Um, how, firstly, before I ask this question, I don't want to put you in a situation. How closely you follow hardcore at the moment? Um, actually, a lot. Uh, yo, I, I thank God for Spotify. Seriously, like you know, I I I, I don't I'm not gonna lie. I don't go to you know shows as much as I should. I definitely pay attention to like what Scanlon on Long Island is doing and a lot of other people. Um, you know, I I do you know like a lot of current hardcore bands. Luckily, because of Spotify, straight up, yeah. lie, like you know, there's no shame and no shame there. No. Now, no. It, it, in line with that, so maybe you can answer this then. As a promoter, and I guess as a hardcore kid, but really like. I'm curious as your promoter brain, uh, what's playing right now that you go, Oh, that'll work. Oh, I can put that somewhere. Oh, I, dude, I, I, I that, like that. I could, I could dude. the first time I heard that band, well, Tom sent it to me XL life from England. The first time I heard that band, I was like, Holy shit. This band could be fucking massive. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I've never had a conversation with them. I don't know what their plans are. Like if they're, planning on coming here, but there's something about that band that embodies what Turnstile does with like this cool skater, almost hip hop ethic. And it's just like, I listen to that. I'm like, that band's fucking cool. Yeah. Tom, you like that band, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I found, I don't know how I found it, but I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And then I was expecting it to be like massive. And then I looked and I was like, oh, they have like 500 listeners on like Spotify. Yeah, like, like, I send it to like, people. But you know, what's interesting after you sent that to me, there is other people that like work in the industry who are, are hardcore kids or are like, from the, yeah. I sent it all to them and they all knew about it. They're like, Oh dude, we're on this. And I hit up, <laughs> I hit up like the, the guy that works at the same company as I do in the UK is a hardcore kid who like has a very similar background to me. So I hit him up and I'm like, what's up with this band? He goes, dude, this band is shit. So like, you know, I think also too, it, it, it has to be talked about like with, the arrival of turnstile into the mainstream world is going to open up the door for so many other hardcore bands the same way when fucking green day or blank etc blew up in the 90s how it just changed things i mean turnstile is 100 percent that band and it's it's crazy how many people that like you know for example like i booked this this is awesome hip-hop group called uh city morgue and they recently played a big band you know they play huge festivals and i was having a conversation they're straight up hip-hop like you know, and I was talking to one of these, you know, the group Zilla, and he fucking loves Turnstile. Mm. Uh, you know, he fucking loves it. He gets it. You know, he's down with it. You know, they want to tour with bands like that. And I think, like, because of Turnstile, you're going to see lines blurred where, like, you know, Turnstile toward Suicide Boys. You know, like, you're going to see, yep. like, they're going to tour with hip-hop bands. 
kids that mostly listen to hip hop are going to get turnstile and it's going to blow up, you know, and like, there's all sorts of shit that I think is going to happen in the years to come because of turnstile a hundred percent. And I know yeah. that like a lot of people are like, ah, fuck it. I'm over it. It's, it's, it's just starting here. It's just, no, it's, I think, I think we, I think right. we all agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's probably what Tom was referring to as me getting myself in trouble in my interview. Uh, but the, uh, I I was trying to give them credit for how big they were, but it just sounded like I was like, oh yeah, they're 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 going to be responsible for so much bad stuff. Which oh, yeah, was- I mean, of course they will. You know, I mean, I mean, but that's you know, like your question before when you're like, hey, is there ever a point where you were like, hey, this this jumped the shark? I think like when anything but gets big that didn't intend to be big. You know, that's that's like yes. One thing one thing I, I think about a lot of people that grew up in that Long Island scene, the Take It Back Sundays. None of those bands intended to be big. They just made bands. You know, they just made music. They just wanted to create. And I think like turns out probably the similar situation. I don't literally, I've never had a conversation with anybody in that band. I just know, you know, their team. But like, what's amazing about that band is that like, I don't think they ever, I don't know, but I don't think they were like, hey, we're going to be the biggest band in the world. It just we're gonna be on TV. No, they, they, yeah. Yeah, they, it's a thing I've said a million times on this podcast. They, they handle their success with such grace because yeah. they, they really truly, could walk away from it anytime. Like they yeah. have like a very, like it's gotta be on our terms or we're not really that interested in it. And not in like a dickish, like Danzig sort of way. No, no, in this, in on. this, in this, we want to make decisions for ourselves and go with what we feel like in the most hardcore, like DIY sense you could imagine for a band at that level. Right. Yeah. It's, it's pretty impressive, but so, yeah, I think we all agree with you. It's going to have, uh, it's going to resonate particularly if they, like quote unquote, make the right moves in the next couple of years and just sort of like keep the momentum going. I think it's yeah. going to be, uh, it's yeah, I agree. It'll be pretty seismic. Uh, Yo, when was the last time you seen a band that would even remotely, well, I mean, you know, that are like a punk or hardcore band that played Seth Meyers and like everybody shared it or a tiny desk or like, there's it's, so many things about the, that they're just mind blowing. The yeah. closest, the closest that's that I can remember is against me. Uh, sure. and, yeah, and that's, and that's seismic in its own way too. You know sure. what I mean? So, yeah, so I agree with you. Um, but, but I, real quick though, I, I know Turnstile is a massive band. Like there's a lot of bands. I, I mean, I love restraining order. I think mind force is super cool. Um, I love, uh, uh, mortality rate. I think it's fucking badass. Yeah. Um, I like what, I, like, it seems like there's some cool shit coming out of Australia. Right, yeah. like that speed band is pretty cool. Like, there's mm-hmm. some good shit going on down there. Crush the demoniac. Wait, what did you say? Yeah, yeah. There's a band called Crush the Demoniac from down there. That's fucking fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, no, I dig. I dig kind of like what's happening there. Um, you know, and I mean, obviously, like Koyo, everyone talks about from Long Island. I think it's cool. Like, I, I, I you know, I went to that Killer Idol show that I definitely got COVID at, and uh, I saw <laughs> Killer Idols. <laughs> I saw it was my fault, but like it was, you know, I wasn't wearing a mask when I looked for, uh, I saw Kelly Riders <laughs> and you know, Andy from Kelly Riders said something so fucking cool at that show. And he's like, hardcore has always been a youth scene. We're not young anymore. These guys are, and they're allowing us into their scene by being at the show. And I thought that was so, I mean, I paraphrase it, but that was so important because yes. it is pretty fucking awesome going to a VFW hall show in December on a Sunday and, you know, obviously everyone went crazy for Killer Idols, but like, you know, Standstill, who I think are the fucking coolest guys I missed, but, you know, Standstill and Coyle crushed with their own fans. You know what I mean? Like with their their brand new generation of hardcore kids that are 16 to 30, you know? Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I love the fact that like, 
it's happening, man. You know, like that's still cool. I'm like, you know, I, you know, as funny as it is, like I, I like when I look at a flyer and there's 20 bands I've never heard of yeah. because it's still happening. You know, like it's not for like I'm 46, man. Like, you know, as much as I still love hardcore, I'm not supposed to get all of it because I'm 46. You know? no, that's a fact. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a fact. It, uh, it, it's interesting that that perspective, which I think this podcast shares, uh, when you'd be, I I've been surprised that my peers, as we've all gotten older, a lot of them are really well-adjusted people that think the exact same thing. And I'm talking about guys in bands that people like, cause the bands right now are, are, I think that this is a thing we've talked about on this podcast. The bands are older, like the bands are all dudes in their thirties sure. now. Right. Sure. Sure. And, uh, but it's fascinating that they seem to have exactly that perspective, which is, yeah, I mean, honestly, like I'm just waiting to be replaced by whatever's hot because that's the nature of the thing. Like I'm happy yeah. to just play my part while it's, yeah. Well, yeah, while it's allowed. Part of the food chain. And, right. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a healthy attitude. Uh, I, I have no desire to cut this short Christian, but I'm actually in a bedroom. That's not mine. Uh, I've been monopolizing somebody else's space for a while. Is it possible that we could move to <laughs> move to the, uh, the last item on that list, which I, I last think item, there's like uh, five on there. No, I think we're almost through. Isn't that right? Oh, well, there's one question that we should have you back to talk about. Actually, that middle question is one we should have you because it could probably go on for a while. Yeah. yeah Christian, we're going to have to do a part two. I hope you don't mind. That's yeah. I'm in the basement at a show right now. We've been talking for like an hour and 40 minutes and I have a show going on upstairs at like, I, I I'm like, just checking my phone the whole time to make sure that everything is cool. Well, but, PK, uh, you got one more. Let's, let's get one more in here, Patrick. You're excited about this one. Throw it off. Oh, uh, well, I mean the, the, you have a giveaway. Is that correct? Yeah, we're gonna give away some. I don't even fucking remember the show. Hold on. Uh, no, I know what the show it is. Uh, no, I know what it is. Life of Agony and Doggy Dog are playing at Warsaw, and I'm gonna do two things. I'm gonna give away a pair of tickets. I don't know how you guys want to do that, but whatever you want. And I'm gonna give a discount for oh, awesome. uh, for a code, a code, a code for a discount. I said that totally backwards. A code for a discount. So Axe the Grind will be the code. Spelled out. Uh, and as Spell when this airs, I'll make sure that uh, it is up and you will receive, a, I don't know what it is, I'll figure it out, but you're going to get a couple of bucks off your ticket. Awesome. For Thank you. And okay, we'll, now, we'll figure out the, the, the giveaway. Uh, we'll work with you, Christian, to make sure we figure it out. But maybe we'll do it for somebody who shares this uh, episode and, and mentions it or, or mentions sure. the show. Something like that. It'll yeah. be fun, something fun. Well, so yeah. it's, and when's the show? Uh, hold on, I'm looking it up. <laughs> February fourth, maybe. Sure. Uh, it is February fourth at the Warsaw. It's uh, Doggy Dog, which I don't think Doggy Dog's played fucking Brooklyn in God fucking twenty years. Yo, I got beat up outside a Doggy Dog show. Straight up. Was that in Brooklyn twenty years ago? It was at Lemoore's in 1994. Yep. We stole a band's drummer. Oh. Yeah. Well, not stole. So the drum made him a decision, better offer. Well, I mean, it ended up working out. The dude got to tour the world, so it ended up working out. But made him offer he couldn't refuse. Exactly. Wait, so you stole. Wait, you stole Pat? Yeah. So he was in another <laughs> band. The guitar player went away to the army. While he was away in the army, Pat played with us. Oh, dude comes back, and Pat's like, "Yeah, I'm going to stick with these cats. Like, this is I'm having a good time." My friend decides to write something about the singer of this band. On 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 a on a on a phone booth that we all hung around in Brooklyn, 
I come out of. Um, By the way, that's the most '90s Brooklyn shit you've ever said around this phone booth that we used to hang out. And at you, and literally, he wrote "fuck you, Mister Tattoo Man" on it, <laughs> right? So at a Life of Agony Dog Eat Dog show at Lemore's, uh, I leave right at the end. They're playing "Stain Remains." I walk out to watch to see my friend who wrote the graffiti getting beaten down 62nd Street by like six people. So I just decided to intervene. Um, then all those people decided to to be like, we're going to find intervene again. Instead. Yeah. 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 So, oh, wait, this guy's trying to get in it. He can have it, too. Yeah. So I, I broke one of the guy's noses. Oh this is not God. me being a tough guy, but like no, they broke my watch. They broke my watch, which I was very upset about. And um, we ended up handling ourselves for being outnumbered. But so. Um, this that was the last time I saw Doggy Dog in, in. So I'm gonna have some like PTSD a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> like oh, we yeah. have a buddy that works security at um at Warsaw, a buddy Sean. That was I'm gonna, probably gonna have to stick tight with him because I'm gonna have some like flashbacks <laughs> of getting beat up by people. Um, but he's it, Sean is always the guy who goes, Jesus, I remember you were a kid. What happened? I go, you're three years older than me. Why are we acting like, like <laughs> yeah. But in 1994, I was, that was a know, big deal. No, there was, yeah, yeah. that's like, I think like, you know, there's, there was really like a big, like cutoff, you know, it's like a freshman, a freshman and a senior. Yo, know, so, where it's like, so think about this when you're yeah. 18, three years is one sixth of your life. Yeah, right. I, you know I, like I, mean? the, I like that he treats Tom like Tom was the Gerber baby or something. No, he really <laughs> does. He's like Tommy, how you doing? I mean, I love the guy to death. He's great, but he's Tommy always like they, they all pushed around in the carriage and they would feed everyone once. Yeah, oh, like, like I remember like, you would share Terry. Time to feed Tommy. Hey, I don't. Yeah, um, but so yeah, so uh, we'll figure out a way to do the giveaway. giveaway. Live in agony. Brooklyn or in the in the in the. Locale that you can get to the show, please. Yeah, you got to be going to the show. Oh, you, you know, know what? I mean? Um, hold on a second. Boston wanted me to do a giveaway too. Uh, they're playing. They're pl- sorry, I forgot to mention that they're playing Boston the band. Uh, like carry on, my no, no, it's no, no, no. They're, uh, they're playing uh, the Brighton Music Hall in Boston on Feb one. Want to shout that show out, and also we'll give we'll give away a ticket for that. A cool. care for that show as well. I'm gonna say so, a ticket. Right. You, you have to go by yourself. You can't look so, at anybody. So February first in Boston, you got Dog Eat Dog and Life of Agony. February fourth at the Warsaw in Brooklyn. Yep. Dog Eat Dog, Life of Agony. Kings never got die. Di- got a discount code. Tom, what is it? Axe to grind. And what do you got to do, Patrick? You got to spell it out. And we're giving away tickets for that as well. So pay attention. Christian, you are an incredible guest, and we can't yes, wait to have you. you back on. Thank. By the way, thank you for having me on. Uh, I've wanted to do this for a while. I love your show. I love that. Tom is literally my favorite person in the world to talk to about anything, music, life, etc. And uh, just hearing him talk, even not to me, is pretty awesome. So uh, this has uh, definitely been. This is legit. Uh, you know, me and Tom went on a road trip last year. And I swear to God, if you would have put a fucking microphone in the car, this would have would have would have would have, would have sounded like. And with our friend Brian Diaz, who's also like just <laughs> wealth and music knowledge. Well, crazy. so what you didn't know is we're going to send you guys out with a portable recording device, and that's what you're going to do this summer. You guys I are mean, doing dude. recording the road trip, and then me and Patrick are going to take three months off. We're just going to air that in clips, in like two hour clips. I mean, like we could do that if we so. got Diaz. We got the van back, like me, you, and Diaz. 
Diaz yeah, at all the LA shows. I'm sure. I'm surprised Pat's never met Brian Diaz. Lives in Los Angeles. Took a lot of those like crazy pictures from all those LA shows with like oh there's fire and there's like cops yeah, and helicopters. Yeah, great photographer. He was in the reunion show and he was in Edge's Edge Goldfish. Goldfish. Yeah, um, he was torn with a Goldfish. Of Fuck. Yeah. yeah. So Shout out man. to Edna's Goldfish. Yeah, they were huge. Shout huge. Out. But yeah, thanks for like really thank you for uh, letting me do this. Uh, thanks I for coming on, man. Yeah, cool. In well, the bowels of Irving Plaza. I am. Good yeah. night. All right, see Peace. you guys. Bye bye. Tom, hit stop. There you go. I could. Oh, so, oh, oh. He,